This morning we have the honor of having an Anglican brother with us as our special guest preacher, Uchina Anyanwu. I'm in the ballpark, I think. He's being gracious to me. Uchina is an Anglican priest in the Anglican Diocese of the Trinity, which is an Anglican diocese in the Church of Nigeria here in North America. Uchina and his spouse, Delapo, are missionaries with Calvary Ministries. It's a cross-cultural mission organization which was begun in Nigeria 45 years ago. And they've both served in Nigeria. They've served in Senegal and in North Africa where they were involved in evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Uchina currently works part-time with Frontier Fellowship using his training and experience for outreach to Arab immigrants here in the greater Boston area. He's passionate about mobilizing churches to intentionally be active participants in God's mission in our world, particularly to unreached people groups in the world. Uchina has two graduate degrees from Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He recently obtained another graduate degree from Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena in California. And Uchina and Delapo have two young adult sons, Eze and Ozi. So, dear brother, thank you for being with us. Welcome to you this morning. Let me just pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on this, our brother. We welcome him, Lord, in our hearts and spirit, and we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon him. Speak to us through him this morning. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor Steve, for inviting me to be with you this morning. It's really a great privilege and a blessing. And this morning, by God's grace, I want to share with us from the passage that was read to us from the book I Isaiah, Isaiah 64. And I'll be speaking mainly on prayer. But before I start, I want to just share this story. It was summer 1806 uh, at Williamstown here in Massachusetts. A 23-year-old Williams College student, Samuel Mills from Connecticut, with four other young college students at the same time they met regularly to pray. And during one of their times of prayer, there was thunderstorms that threatened their time. So they ran into a farmer's haystack and continued to pray. That particular meeting is what has come to be known as the haystack prayer meeting. I will talk more about that. What was their burden in prayer? It was the unevangelized people, what we call today the unreached peoples of Asia. That was the burden they had in their time of prayer. Their prayer has affected a lot of things because it was out of that that the first foreign missionaries were ever sent from the United States outside the frontiers of this country. So in the Old Testament lesson we read, from Isaiah 64. I want us to draw some insights from that passage that could instruct us, that could also challenge us and invite us to become participants in the company of those who petition God 
to intervene, to break in into our time, into our space, given our own difficult situation and what we may consider not the way it's supposed to be situation. In chapters 40, chapters 40 to 66 of Isaiah, it's only a section of the whole book and it completes the picture that was painted in the previous chapters. Scholars whose Old Testament scholars divide the book of Isaiah into three different sections. They call first Isaiah from chapter 1 to 33 and then second Isaiah from chapter 40 to 40, 55 and third Isaiah from 56 to 66. So, the theme of the first Isaiah is practically about servanthood. It's evident true that that servanthood, God's people could be revealed. God's, God's own saviorhood can also be revealed. But the issue is that for God's people to truly and effectively execute their servanthood, there must be trust in God. Where there is no trust, it's difficult to actually be able to fill that space to serve as a servant. So, unfortunately, when we read the story of Israel as God's people, there is this proclivity of God's people. Uh, instead of trusting Yahweh, their trust more is in the nations or the people. And they are not the only ones. That happens to many of us followers of Jesus as well. And when we are faced with circumstances, we, instead of trusting in the Lord our God, our default is also to find a way how to solve our situation. So the question that looms for us, and not just only from scriptures concerning God's people, is in whom and in what do we put our trust? So this question leads me to consider this passage in Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, which is actually a community lament. It's a Isaiah 64 is a community lament. And in every lament, there are elements that characterize a lament. One of it is historical reminiscence, a recall of history. Another element is complaint. Then in, that, in, a, in a lament, you will also find confession. And then petition and a declaration of trust in God. These are some of the characteristics or criteria that elements that you find in every lament. And you find that lamp, you will find these elements in this passage. But the laments that we see in Isaiah 64 actually starts from Isaiah 63, from verse 7 until the end of chapter 64. But I'm not going to go into the whole passage. I will just focus on a few of these elements and then zero on the point I want to make in this, mess, this, this passage this morning on prayer. The first is historical reminiscence or a recall of history. Making a petition to God is similar actually to pleading a case in a law court. Attorneys, when they are in the court and they are making a case, they usually make reference to cases that have been ruled they call it precedence, and they draw argument from those cases to support their case. 
Actually praying, petitioning God is like entering the courts of heaven and presenting a case before the triune God why you want God to do what you are asking him to do. So making reference to history, recalling history, is very important to help you to make your case, just as attorneys do in human law courts. So those who present petitions to God, asking God for his intervention, asking God to break into into their space, into their time, to intervene in their situation, need to be aware of history. Where has God intervened before? On what basis are you going to be asking God to do what you are asking him to do? From our text, there is a recall of history from from verse 3 to 4 where he said, when you did out some things that we did not look for, you came down from the mountains, quaked at your pre- the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has ever heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. The recall of history, the prophet is making here, there are two different Things we can, those, those recall alludes to. The first is when the Lord parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel to cross over on dry ground. He just created a highway for them and they passed over. And after that crossing, Moses and the children of Israel sang a song written in Exodus chapter 15. In that song, they sang, Sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. In the same song they sang, they said, Who is like unto thee? Who is like unto thee, O Lord? Among the gods, who is like unto you? Glorious in holiness, doing wonders. That might be what they were referring to. But there is still yet another historical event that he was talking about here, Exodus chapter 19 and 20, when Yahweh descended physically upon Mount Sinai to deliver the law to the children of Israel. That was another thing he was referring to. In that passage, he mentioned how God Almighty said there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and every loud trumpet blast such that the people trembled. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it. There's another example of a recall. A man who was pleading his case before God. Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. He the, 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 the Moabites and Ammonites have besieged Judah and they brought the news to Jehoshaphat and he called a fast and all the people came together in the temple and they were to cry unto God, to petition God to intervene on their behalf. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord. And hear what he said. He began by asking God a question. He said, Oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? What do you think would have been the response of Yahweh? He said, are you not God in heaven? God will say, yes, I am. He said, you rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that no one is able to withstand you. 
Now, he recalled an element of history in his argument, in his petition to God. He said, did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? God will say, yes, I did. So he referred to history to make his case before God. It's important that in petition, in our lament, we recall God's faithfulness in our lives, what God has done in the past, and use it as an argument and trust him. Let me say, let me be clear, my brothers and sisters. We can refer to historical events of God's intervention in history we read from the scriptures. We can, because the word of God is living and active. We cannot say what God did for Moses, for David, he may not do it for us today. God is living. His word has not changed. You can build your argument for petition before God based on what God has done in the scriptures. But beyond that, the, 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 the uh, biblical canon closed. That does not mean God has not been doing things since the canon closed. You can also refer to certain things God has done in your own life, in history, to remember, to plead with God and say, God, it's time for you to intervene again in our own situation. The Haystack prayer meeting, as I mentioned at the beginning, is an example. It was there in Williamstown. These five students as Williams College had been praying, praying, and there was this thunderstorm that came, which in my opinion seemed to allude to God's presence. In fact, um, one Honorable Harvey Rice described the student's staring experience as in these words. He said, it was a sublime moment for them and for the world. The heavens darkened, the lightnings flashed, dread thunders rolled. The rain fell, yet amid this conflict of the elements, there came a still small voice, as if from the storm cloud. It was a diving, a divine whisper, an inspired thought, which steered the life current in the hearts of Mills. That's Samuel Mills, who was the leader of this group. That inspired thought, broad as the earth in its comprehension, Mills announced to his devout companions, they felt its divinity and regarded it as a divine communication. So the series of meetings they had finally led to the birth of what is known as the American, um, American, for commission, uh, American, American um, Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions. It was that particular board created in 1810 that led to the sending forth of missionaries for the first time from within the United States. And it did not stop there. It also led to the birth of the American Bible Society. It led to the birth of the United Missionary Society. Why? Some people gathered, praying and calling upon God, asking God to intervene in their situation. A recall of history can help us 
plead with God to intervene in our time and space and do what he has done before, given our own circumstances and situation. From a personal experience, my wife and I, we, we are in North Africa. We are, we are sent out by a faith mission from Nigeria. And our approach of missions is we believe that when God calls you, he sends you, he provides and sends, provides for you for all that you need for your living and ministry. So the model I have seen in the United States, in North America, when a missionary senses a call, they have to spend like two years raising support. In our own case, it's not like that. You feel called, you are sent out. You don't have any commitment from anybody to support you financially. You trust that God is going to supply your needs when you are there. So we were serving in North Africa one time. We didn't really have any support, but at a time, a church who had heard about our calling and what we are doing opted to begin to support us. After four years, the support stopped. So my wife and I, we spent some time in prayer. There is a hymn that touched our heart. Begone unbelief, my Savior is near. I want to read the third stanza of that hymn to you. It says, His love in time past forbids me to think he will leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite true. When we recall God's faithfulness in time past, what God has done in the past, it will forbid your heart to think that he will leave you to sink in your present situation. So whatever may be the circumstances we are going through, this our very difficult situation we've never experienced before in our lifetime. I don't think there is anyone among us who was probably born in 1918 when there was the flu that happened, what they call the Spanish flu. That was the nearest in history we can talk about that has hit the world. Living in such circumstances, we can recall history and remember that he who has been faithful to us in time past, he is able and will not leave us in our time of trouble to sin. Recalling God's faithfulness can encourage us to plead with him to finish what he has started in our lives and in our time. So in this community lament in Isaiah 64, we must not forget that every of God's spectacular visitation, his inbreaking into the affairs of people has often been preceded by petition of his people. I believe God can once again break into our own time and history. But we, his people, we need to first lament and petition him. We need to cry and say, oh Lord, rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence again. Why do we need to lament? Why do we need to pray? In our lament, there must also be confession. In the passage, the confession is made from verse 5 to verse 7 when he recalled our, our, our failings, our failures, and called upon God for forgiveness. You meet him who joyfully walks righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. He declares the trust in God's faithfulness. 
But he said, Behold, you we are angry. We sinned in our sins. We have been a long time. And shall we, shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. He confessed. There are several confessions in scripture. Daniel, when Daniel was praying, he, in Daniel chapter 9, he confessed the sins of his people, not just for him, but for the whole people. He, he said, our fathers have sinned. You, you promised us. Nehemiah, when the news came to him about the state of the walls of Jerusalem, the first thing he did was to go before the Lord to confess and cry out to the Lord. In our own situation, when we are lamenting, we need to come before God in confession. In repentance, not just our own sins, the sins of our fathers, those who have gone before us, the errors they made, the systematic injustice that may have been left in our culture, in our society, we need to confess all that, to ask God to have mercy on us, to rend the heavens, and to come down. And finally, in that part, he begins petition to begin to plead with God, which expresses the trust he has in God in the last part of Isaiah 64. In whom, in what do we put, your, do we put our trust? I've observed in a society that is well-organized, developed, advanced, Many people, many people put their trust in a lot of things, in the system. The people put their trust in their credit and debit cards. Do you know that? When you have need, you don't even think about praying about it. When there is a health issue, many times, oh, I have health insurance. The insurance will pay for it. That's our natural default. But this scripture this morning is encouraging our hearts that we must learn to turn our eyes unto the Lord. Like Jehoshaphat in his own prayer, he turned to the Lord and said, Lord, we do not know what to do. Our eyes are on you. Declaring our trust in God is a way of petitioning God to intervene in our situation. And the situation we find ourselves, not just in the United States, in our world, Several people in different parts of the world are yet to hear the gospel. Is it a bother to us? It was a burden for Samuel Mills and his colleagues in the early part, the early first decade of the 1800s. It was a burden for them. Can it be a burden to us in the 21st century that as we begin Advent, leading us to Christmas, there are yet a lot of people groups, distinct people groups, who have never met a believer in Jesus, who have not had the opportunity to hear the gospel. Can it be a burden to us to petition God and ask God, how can I, how can you, how can we be a part of this. Could we implore him and say, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Stir up in us again as you stirred up in the hearts of people 
like Samuel Mills and his friends, as you stirred up in the hearts of many other people who, upon their hearts, they carried the burden with you praying for the nations to come to faith in Christ Jesus. Let us not put our trust only in what our hands can accomplish. Because when God's presence descends in our circumstances, in our situation, whether it is in reaching out to people with the gospel or whether it's in our local ministries and outreach, when God's presence descends in what we are doing, we will see fruits, we will see lives transformed. Not just individual lives, society, our culture will be transformed. I am praying this morning that the Lord in his mercy will raise up more men and women, people like Samuel Mills and his friends, who could carry the burden upon their hearts to cry out to God and say, rend the heavens, O Lord, and come down. Visit us again as you have done before in time past. May the Lord find you. May the Lord find me. Let's pray. Father, pour your spirit upon these words we have heard. Let them become life and spirit in us. And bring forth fruits that will glorify you, Father. Glorify your son, Jesus. And glorify the Holy Spirit. And bring joy to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.